Hello, and welcome to the Learn to Mediate Online podcast. I'm Susan Guthrie, your host, and I'm one of the leading experts in online mediation. I have personally been mediating online for over five years now, and I have my own fully online family law mediation and coaching practice. Two years ago, after so many of my colleagues reached out wanting to know how I was doing it, I created the Learn to Mediate Online training program, and to date, I have personally trained thousands of mediators in how to successfully conduct their mediations through an online platform. As a leading figure in the online mediation movement, I am privileged to be on the cutting edge of developments and advances in online practice, and this podcast has been created to share that information with you. So tune in each week to get the inside story on how to mediate online. I invite you to now listen to today's podcast. Hello and welcome to today's podcast. I'm Susan Guthrie, your host, and today I have I have such a fascinating conversation for you all, and I know that because we had a hard time stopping our pre-taping conversation to get started with our actual taping conversation. Um, my guest today is Larry Bridgesmith, and we have so much to unpack for you. Um, I'm, I'm going to dive in quickly, but first I want to just give you a little background on Larry. He's one of my colleagues at the American Bar Association in the dispute resolution section, and he recently came with another one of our colleagues, Chuck Crompton um, from Hawaii. Most of you out there are probably who are listening, I'm sure have heard of Chuck and know Chuck. He's He's one of the um, truly most lovely people in our profession that I know. But they, you came to our mediation committee's meeting in, um, in January, and it was just such a fascinating conversation that I immediately asked you, Larry, to come on the podcast so that we could continue it. Um, so first, I just want everyone to, to have a little of your background. We were just talking about the fact that we are both former litigators who moved into the dispute resolution world, um, but you are also the president of Accelerate Insight LLC and the CEO of Legal Alignment LLC. Um, so, and I'm going to let you explain that as well. And you're in Nashville, Tennessee, which I love your city. It's such a wonderful place to be. Um, and you are a member of the International Academy of Mediators, and you chair the Tennessee Supreme Court ADR Commission. So you you are well immersed in our world, but also the other world that I love so much, which is the world of technology. And that's that's what we're going to be talking about today. About you know you called it. Um, I want to get the the right phrase: collaborative coalitions and innovation and technology. Um, and so for those of you who are out there who are wondering how that all comes together, you'll know when we get into the conversation. But first, Larry, thank you for joining me today. Oh, what a delight it is. And Susan, I've got to admit, I'm a deep admirer of your work and the enormous influence that you've had on helping those of us in the mediation community adjust to this craziness we call COVID and thrive, relatively speaking. So thank you for all that work. Oh, well, thank you. And, and I think that that's actually the basis of, of why I found what you were saying in the meeting that we had the, um, the mediation committee meeting that we had with the ABA because you were talking about sort of the shift 
from always doing things the way that we've always done them. Um, somebody once said to me, the most expensive words in business are, but that's the, the way we've always done it. And, you know, my world in the past year or so has been all about doing things differently than the way that we've done them. And you and I talked just a moment ago about the fact that for most of the practitioners who've made the shift online, although there was a great deal of fear around the initial shift, for most, it's been a positive experience. And that's opened people's minds to the idea that, hey, if technology can do that for me, what else can it do for me? Well, I'm sorry, that's exactly right. And I, I've even seen studies, or at least opinions, perhaps it's too early for a study, that say that we as a people, as a economy, and certainly as professionals in law and in mediation, this is true. We've experienced a 10 year jump in a year by virtue of our newfound awareness of what technology can do to help us. That's remarkable. And we have COVID to thank for that. So I, I completely concur with what you said. Yeah, well, and it's interesting. I just taped another episode for my other podcast about the anniversary of COVID. We are taping this um, right at the beginning of March. And so we're coming up on that one year. And when I think back, to where we all were one year ago and what happened for so many people in the dispute resolution world, in the legal world, and, and frankly, in the entire world. My husband's in the hospitality industry, mm -hmm. uh, was used to driving out to his office in Chicago every single day. And we all went into sort of utter panic mode, or some of us did, went into utter panic mode because we didn't know how to get online. We didn't know how to use technology to continue to do what we do to help people. Um, and I was lucky to be in the place where I, I had been working online and, and doing resolving disputes online for a few years. So I was really excited to be able to help people make that transition. Um, and although most people started in a place of fear, most people ended up in a place of not just acceptance of the new technologies and the new ways of doing things, but actual excitement and embracing that change. Um, and now have come back to me all the time on this podcast and say, what more have you got? What's out there? What, can, what else can you teach me, Susan? Uh, so that for me is, is a very exciting shift for people. But what it also makes me realize is that that's just one small area where technology has made a massive 10-year shift for all of us. You said something in the, the ABA uh, mediation committee meeting, and I just want to, it was such a fantastic quote. I wrote it out and I want to just state it here. So you, you were talking about a body and movement of professionals can find a way into a new era of problem solving by opening our eyes and minds to the expertise of others and the power of technology to create solutions that none of us individually could have considered alone. And that for me brings it all, that, that's it. You just summed it all up right there. And that's what I really wanna hone in on because there's so much in there. That, that we as dispute resolution professionals, as working people in this world, as human beings, 
can take from what you said right there. So, so let's go to that core and, and, and talk about that. Well, there's so much to unpack there and it hasn't been a quick journey of understanding or awareness for me, nor is it for anybody. So we shouldn't feel less or um, judged because of it, because it's a, it's a journey of cognition that the human brain must engage in, in order to find new experiences to lead them to new skill sets. A Navy SEAL, an Army Ranger, a, a neurosurgeon does not become superhuman by reading a book or listening to a lecture. One, they have to do a lot of work learning how to think differently. First, they have to be willing to, and then there's a lot of trial and error along the way before they become intuitive in a skill set that they never had before. And it doesn't happen fast and it's not easy. And most would say it's not fun. So this is the basic dilemma that Clayton Christensen, a Harvard professor of business, wrote about 20 years ago when he, his seminal work is called The Innovator's Dilemma, meaning that things that are working well are not likely to change. A matter of fact, they won't change until there's some really compelling reason for it to change. And even that's scary, frightening, and will be resisted to the very last ounce of our capacity to resist. Because until we see the self-interest to be gained by the change, we're gonna fight hard to maintain the status quo. I think Richard Susskind, one of our innovation in law colleagues says, you can't tell a room full of millionaires their business model is broken. <laughs> That's just the way the brain works because our brain is focused on what we have experienced and therefore what we believe to be true. So that experiential learning is what defines our quote worldview. And I like to compare that to our quote mindset, which is just another word for saying my mind is set. So don't confuse me because I've got a mindset, right? right. So until we see a reason to question whether that mindset is working for us, we won't. So taking Clayton Christensen's work a little bit further, his colleague at Harvard by the name of Jeffrey Moore put it into words that I could finally understand. And it was just an epiphany for me because his book is called Crossing the Chasm. And he uses a bell curve to illustrate the human population in every sector. And it's just the nature of us as human beings, not wrong, not right, it's just real. And that bell curve comprised of about four separate categories of people to, to say that simplistically. Think of a bell curve and on the left-hand side, you see this little narrow, almost nothing group that he calls the innovators. These are the crazy people. <laughs> These are the people that have ideas that make no sense in the current scheme of things. And trust me, as one who may be an innovator, 
you are branded as crazy because what you're saying does not comport with my experience. And the group of people that fill the greatest quantity of that bell curve more calls pragmatists, good people doing great work and having succeeded phenomenally. But it's an 80% number that knows that it's working for them. It's worked for them all the time. They are in that room full of millionaires. They can't be told their business model is broken. And the last person they're gonna to listen to is an innovator and the craziness that they're talking about that doesn't comport with their experience. And so this chasm that Moore talks about is this space between the comfort of the pragmatist success and moving into change or innovation. It's the chasm of chaos, confusion, disruption. Nobody wants to go there. It's like standing on the precipice and looking down and across the way and saying, that's too dangerous. No one in their right mind would step off this ledge, except there are people who've stepped off the ledge and they're, they're not even the innovators. They're the early adopters, the people who have come to understand with pain and perhaps derision that the current state of affairs is broken. It cannot sustain itself. And so they have taken that chasm of confusion and chaos and disruption, embraced it and stepped over on the other side. And they're looking for solutions to do things differently. Those are the people the innovators have influence with because they've left the security of what some might call Egypt behind and they've crossed the chaotic Red Sea and they're now standing in the promised land. That's just figuratively, of course, but they're looking for the way to make it in the promised land and the people they are influenced by are the innovators. So the innovators dilemma is solved in part by the innovators forgetting about the pragmatists because they're going to come to understand at some time like most others may have that the current way of doing things will not be sustainable it's broken and at some point they'll look around and say maybe it's worth crossing the chasm and the thing that gets them to do so are the early adopters who basically says say to them, come on in, the water's fine. Matter of fact, it's a lot better than it was before. That's the human dynamic that underlies change and innovation. And you just described it perfectly. If we've walked into technology as a mediator, as a lawyer, as a physician, as an architect, we've discovered there's reason to do that, but we had to leave what we were accustomed to and comfortable with behind in order to do that. And now anybody who has stepped into the world of technology support for mediation has crossed the chasm. And they're looking for the next set of solutions to help them do their job better. It, it's such a beautiful description of, of what we've experienced in this past year. I'm sure everybody out there listening is going, oh, now I'm an early adopter. I'm in, mm -hmm. I'm, in. I'm, I'm all in. And as someone who, you know, I started moving to that online world several years ago and kept telling people, 
come on in, the water's fine. And God, you know, the, it sounds kind of interesting as an off, you know, as a one-off Susan, or I, I guess, but there really wasn't a huge interest in it. Mm-hmm. And now, you know, as you, as you just said, I think there's something in what you were just saying where people, when they cross the chasm and they, they become an early adopter, it's not just adopting what they have learned in, up to that moment, or, or in my particular case, how to do a mediation through video conferencing, they then want more. Now, all of a sudden, the floodgate is open. And that's what's happened in that, you know, that jumping forward 10 years is we've all been somewhat given a gift because we've all been opened up to, I can tell you, I'm utterly fascinated by everything that is in the pipeline that is coming that that is going to help us do what we do and do it even better. Well, and I think we can take it beyond our profession and that's what has me so intrigued because let's look around. The system, however you define the system that we've grown accustomed to is broken, broken badly. Inequity, injustice, extreme poverty, human trafficking, on and on and on and on it goes. And all of our old solutions aren't changing or fixing anything. Matter of fact, we're more intractable in our conversations about change than we have ever been. And it's largely because we haven't opened our minds to see that one, what's now working for me isn't working for everybody. And as long as I'm content to let it work for me alone, I'm gonna stay there. But at some point we've got to all look around and say, well, our political system is broken. Our world order is broken. There is no way to sustain it by standing firm on making other people think like me. One, it doesn't work. And this is another text that I would recommend to your readers. It's Adam Grant. He's the youngest Wharton professor ever given a professorship. He's a specialist in organizational psychology. He's written a number of works. They're all very accessible. They aren't scholarly, even though he is a scholar. The most recent was published two weeks ago and it's called Think Again. The premise being we don't convince people to change their minds. They have to decide to change their minds. And mediators should understand this better than anybody on the planet. And that is, we can't coerce someone to changing their position. Now, judges do that. Um, Soldiers do that. Armed police officials do that. But it doesn't change anybody's mind. It just changes their behavior until the gun is gone. Right. Right. But what changes people's mind is the work that we do as dispute resolution professionals. Ask questions so that they begin to change their own mind. Because the more capable we are of making them think, they will think again about their own presuppositions. And at some point, the hope is, and for many people, We've all seen the magic in a mediation room 
when all of a sudden it shifts, it's like something transcendent just took place. I used to think it was magic. Now I know it's neuroscience. Mm -hmm. Because if we've done the job of a mediator, we've helped them examine their presuppositions, not threateningly, not accusatorily, not aggressively, but as a helper in this learning process in which they're being exposed to the reasons behind the positions that they took, have taken and are fighting to the death over and are beginning to say, you know, maybe there's some flaw in my thinking. That's open-mindedness rather than mindset. That's what we do. And if we are good at what we do, we have great results, not because we're coercing people to think like me, but because we're helping them, as Adam Grant says, think again. So that's why I'm so excited about this moment in time. And that's why the presentation to the mediation committee was so exciting to me. Because at this point in time, one last book <laughs> I'll recommend no, no. is called, called The Second Machine Age, written by two MIT uh, computer scientists. That's, that's the one. I went and, and it, got it the minute you mentioned it. <laughs> well, that's the one that opened my mind to understand that there was a way of doing business and working in the world that was the first machine age from the advent of the steam engine until 2006. And they make this incredible case that says these are all the things that happened to 2006 that basically said we have now moved from a linear human progression to an exponential one. And think about it, the explosion of digital information. Now you've taught how many people to use a tool like Zoom to mediate? Just over 17,000 so far. Think about this, how much digital data is generated every time any one of us conducts a Zoom mediation? Right. The digital data is exploding today. It's doubling every day. Now, if that's just digits that are lying out there unused, that's one thing. But there's another series of developments. And this is what the authors of the Second Machine Age made so clear to me. The power of digital analytical processing through artificial intelligence, machine learning, natural language processing, there are about 90 different subcategories of artificial intelligence. Everything from virtual reality to computer vision, you just go on and on and on and on, but it's all about accessing data, analyzing it, and doing something with it that gives it value. Some have called this digital age or what they call the exponential second machine age, it's like converting oil to digital data. Digital data is the new oil, but it requires mining, it requires refining, it requires distribution, it requires wholesale, resale, it requires an entirely different approach to taking that data and making value out of it. And that's the work of data scientists, computer engineers, developers. So, if all of that's true, and I believe it to be true, the, the message to the mediation committee was, okay, we've got a lot of problems in this world that need to be solved. Can we do them alone? 
or do we need to partner up with some of these genius computer scientists, those with PhDs in artificial intelligence and machine learning? Maybe together we can teach them some things about process and facilitating conflict, and they can teach us some things about the digital age. But it's far broader than that because you can't name a single human dilemma that doesn't really call for a multitude or at least a significant number of different professional disciplines. First, we need to know how to collaborate, which is not in our DNA. No. All of us as lawyers know we learn to compete. I was a trial lawyer. I loved trial. My clients weren't so fascinated by it. Even when they won and they got the bill, they were pretty distressed about the victory they just enjoyed, right? Exactly, yes. We loved it because we were trained in it. We knew how to play that game. It was great fun, very wasteful, overly expensive, and it didn't solve the problem that our client wanted to solve, except with a lot of time and a lot of money. And here's where the biggest dilemma for lawyers and mediators who have been lawyers rests. We got dumb, fat, and happy by selling time. Mm -hmm. Right? Yes. And it's a pernicious motivator. I've been in law firms, I've sat on compensation committees, I've fought over the profit in the pool at the end of the year. It turns rational human beings into werewolves. And in the course of the year, it also incentivizes some pretty pitiful practices. I would argue many of them are criminal because if I take more time in order to make more money and falsely report it on a bill, it really took only two minutes, but I billed them for 15. It's another word for mail fraud. That's why it's a crime. But you can't convince us of that because we're too satisfied with the status quo. And when you tell anyone whose cost plus business model is broken, they're gonna tell you you're crazy. I've made too much money, that, that can't be. And they're a threat to their economic well-being, their identity, and everything that they value. So they can't hear it, except when people have crossed the chasm to discover, you know, there may be more profit in efficiency than there ever was in waste. And look how I ruined my life thinking, if I only had 40 hours in a day, how much I could bill then. And that's led us to divorce and suicide and addictions of every description. So is the current model broken? None of us would say it's not, but are willing to cross the chasm. Very few are. But as you say, when they do, now they're hungry for the technology that will make their life easier and the delivery of their services better, faster, cheaper. And guess what? In my view, that will also make access to justice a reality and not a dream. 
Yeah, and that's where we're sitting on, well, we're sitting on that actually taking place. I was going to say the precipice, but it's actually happening. David um, Larson, our incoming chair of the dispute resolution section, after four and a half years of working on a um, online dispute resolution system for the New York State Courts, just launched it last month, um, which is a huge step for, I mean, the, the bureaucracy mixed with the technology, mixed with everything else that has to go into place, the systems um, to go into place, to putting an online court system into place is incredible. But we have, we have moved forward to a point where people are asking for these, right. asking for it. The public is asking for it. Court administrators are asking for it. And every little step forward is, is becoming a leap forward because people are now across the chasm. Well, you know. I, I was delighted to have served on the Dispute Resolution Council at the time that project was begun. And I was asked to be the liaison with David and with Vicki Rogers, who he worked with on the front end, because the council had obtained a grant from the ABA. And so the council felt it's, it's good to have a liaison working with them because they were on the ground, they were doing the hard work. And so I had the occasion to be a part of that very early stage. And I can say, and thanks to David, because he's written the best analysis of what it takes to make it work. And I dearly love the work that he has done. Now people can take that roadmap and help people and courts and lawyers and debtors and creditors begin to see, you know, maybe crossing the chasm is not such a bad thing. So to that point, this month we are launching in Tennessee I'm the chair of the ADR commission here, an online dispute resolution system that is pre-litigation. It doesn't wait for, exactly. Now that, could, that couldn't have happened five years ago. But now that it's obvious that it can happen, now people are saying, I need some of that. And look what, we've just disenfranchised, some would say, Lawyers, well, that's not even true because these cases, lawyers don't wanna have anything to do with. But what are we doing? We're raising the bar of access to justice inch by inch. We're doing it through technology, which I'm convinced that the authors of the second machine age were absolutely right. This is an exponential age. And the only way we're going to succeed in it is to learn how to collaborate. That's our job bring technology to bear that's their job but we have to work with them to do it and the result instead of competition and scarcity is collaboration and abundance that's a that's a prescription that i think every one of us could get behind this is the time and that's that's why when i talk to people and i talk to someone like you i get so excited for where we are right now, uh, because you know I'm I'm sitting in meetings with with the you know Colin Rules 
mm-hmm. and and you and David Larson and, and the people who are effectuating change. And, and we're talking right here about the world of dispute resolution, but this is happening at a rapid pace throughout our, our world. Um, and the opportunities and the open-mindedness to those opportunities. And the fact, here's another little aspect, just there's also a shift for the financing of creating these coalitions. The venture capital has all massively shifted in the past year. And that's exciting too. And the, and the founders, you know, I talk with, um, some of the founders of companies like Legaler and ADR Notable and Detour Life. These are all programs that assist mediators and attorneys. And they are open-minded to talking to us, to professionals who use their products or, or need their the insights. They make changes within weeks to their programs that adjust for what we need. And this is such a fascinating time for all of us. And actually, I know you have a project and and a product coming out and launching almost any day now. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, let me first tell you that um, because of that thing you just said, I have been asked to chair a, they call it a legal disruption Congress in Dubai on the 31st of May of this year, because this group has accepted the premise you just made. Everything is being disrupted. So they're bringing investors and startups. They're bringing vendors and the purchasers to the same place so that they can have one-on-one meetings with others and learn from the disruptors and the thought leaders, but more importantly, make the economic arrangements to get investment for that startup idea or sell that startup product to a user in the context, not of a conference, but of a Congress. And they are proud to say they are leading the world in technology disruption through investment of startups in every industry. And they just discovered law. And they say that is an untapped gold mine. So the product quickly is just an AI blockchain-based cryptocurrency enabled tool for lawyers and their teams to more rapidly create a project matter plan using templates that they that reflect the way they do that work. And literally with a click of a button have a telephone conversation with someone who wants them to do the kind of work that they do and give them a probable budget that is profitable to the law firm or the mediator. Because they've done this so much, the data is there and the AI is constantly improving the way they deliver it. And it's hugely interoperable, which is a phrase that says, these technologies that you need, they're on all of these different platforms and you got to log in and log out and well, what if they were all integrated into a single dashboard? That's Dash, that's the product. And so it's the combination of great technologies all over the place working in seamless integration with a single sign-on and the data is exchanged in real time. It's accurate, 
you can plan, you can execute, you can communicate without ever leaving a tool. You don't have to rely on email. You can create within it all of your uh, technology applications operating seamlessly so that billing can work automatically from the fact that you've done the work by using Dash. You've been given all the information you need to do the work at the task level. And by adding other integrations like document management or conflicts checking, and then some of the more advanced ones, like one that wants to be integrated with us as fast as we can, is called Accurate Legal Billing. It's an AI product. It's made by a, a US company. And it takes the billing guidelines that those of us in outside law hate because every time we get a new client, we get a different set of billing guidelines. Right. What if that could all be automated? And no billing goes out that isn't completely compliant with those billing guidelines by automation. There's a 20% return on collections by simply complying with the billing guidelines. And there's no uncomfortable conversation about why you failed to do that or having to hear them say, well, you said what you, you see what they say, unless you comply, we're not gonna pay it. That's a 20% loss. And sometimes it's a client loss, which is even worse. But yeah, that what happens when we integrate everything and we let technology do all that crazy hard work for us. And guess what? We just get to practice law. Right. That's why I went to law school. Yes. I. I... I re distinctly remember that day when I sat in my office after I'd started my, I left my law firm and started my own. And I had spent an entire day just doing all the, excuse my French crap, that you have to do to run a law firm that had nothing to do with being a lawyer. Exactly. Um, and, you know, so, and it, it with a, the 20% return, it sounds like a product uh, that pays for itself. <laughs> more than pays for itself exactly right so well i'm gonna have you back on the show because i oh. love to talk about new technologies that can help people but I, I i i hope people are hearing in what we're saying just how exciting a time we are living in and feeling that because i i wake up every day feeling this way this past year has been a difficult year for so many people in so many ways but on but in one way this this rapid shift and this rapid acceptance to technology and the joy that it is bringing the freedom that it is bringing to so many of our colleagues i have colleagues who have moved to locations they've wanted to live in their entire lives but never thought they would be able to live there because their practice was centered somewhere else and you know now they're living where they've always wanted to be or or living in two places, because it doesn't really matter where their practice is. It, there's just so much available to us. And then when we extrapolate that out to what we can do to help the world right. it, with our collaborative coalitions, I love right. that you call them that. So thank you so much for taking your, the time and, and coming and visiting to me today with me today. I know you're willing to speak on these topics you know, with others. I want to make sure people know the best ways to get in touch with you. Well, the, the email that I use the most is Larry at legalalignment.com because I believe that once we align 
we're going to get a lot better at what we do and probably enjoy it a lot more. So that's that's the best way to reach me by email. Um, my websites are legalalignment.com. You see accelerateinsight.com, which is all about artificial intelligence as a primary tool to do so. Um, and my phone, I love anybody to call me, 615-585-7563. Just say, Susan sent me. <laughs> I love that. And it's it's picking up the phone, people. That's old school. That's <laughs> you right. can do it. We still get to use the phone, even with all of all of the technological advances we've made. Well, thank you so much. I've, I just, I could talk about this all day because Obviously, it brings me joy. Yeah. yeah. Well, and we will continue it. I will have you on. I want to talk about Dash oh, and um, I hope I get a chance to play with it. Um, you, mm -hmm. I, the idea gets me excited. So thank you so much. Um, and we'll see you in a couple of weeks. Thank you, Susan, so much. And thank you again for the great work you're doing. You're helping us cross the chasm. No, thank you. It's been a joy and a pleasure. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you for joining me on this week's episode of the Learn to Mediate Online podcast. I'm Susan Guthrie, and if you liked this episode, please give me a five-star rating and tell me what you did like in a review. Join me each Tuesday morning at 6 a.m. to hear another episode and be sure to subscribe now so you don't miss one. Send me your questions and comments at susan at learntomediateonline.com and you can find out more about my trainings and programs at learntomediateonline.com. I'll see you next week.